behaupten, das deutsche Volk habe den Glauben an den Sieg verloren. Welcome back to the 54th episode of the Professor Penn Podcast. David Penn here welcoming you back. I hope you had a nice holiday weekend. Uh, 
I'm going to give you an admission up front. We're going to get into some stuff today that's not pleasant. So this is kind of like a parental advisory, a cautionary tale, because some of the things we're going to talk about in view today are seldom viewed, seldom thought about. And I think it's very important that we as the American people, we the people, come to grips with where we've been, learn from it, and take a look at where we're heading. Where are we heading? So strap in. It's not going to be a fun night. I don't have a lot of uh, humor about this. It was a very difficult weekend for me. It was uh, a holiday weekend, right? But the role I'm in gives me very little time to rest. And uh, I'm confronted with uh, realities that require great faith. And I'm going through my own process. And I'm doing it right with you. What we're trying to say here is that faith is the undeveloped element in balancing out our country so that we don't go down this eugenicist Darwinist path, which was so um, aptly displayed in the cold open. That was uh, the minister of propaganda, Joseph Goebbels, uh, giving his very famous speech, the Total War Speech, where he was encouraging his listeners to commit to a total war the likes of which had never been seen before on planet Earth, which is exactly what happened. And uh, we're kind of in that same spot now. We're going to hear more and more of this total war talking. We're hearing it. We just don't know how to interpret it because we've become numb or dumb or whatever we're going to say. We're not picking up the cues that our leaders are leaving for us. And I don't want it to be missed. I want every one of us, for myself first, all the people that I love, for my audience, for my listeners, my viewers, all my associates, we have to know where we're at in this game and cut through the natural human um, tendency to discount and to say, well, it's not that big of a deal. It's a big deal. The holiday's over. We're in it now, okay? We're in it now. Games are Put to the side, this is the real deal. So let us uh, let us focus in together. And I do want to thank uh, Free People Radio for giving me this platform. This is a great new media company. we got a lot of new properties coming on. We need your help. We need your viewership. We need you to push the content out. You know, we are not the only uh, online um, resource where we're saying, please push the content out. A lot of people are doing this. But ours is overtly political in a party sense, and that makes us unique, or at least it makes the Professor Penn podcast unique. And, of course, Royce White's going to run for Senate, so who's podcasting that's running for Senate? Not too many. It's a short group, short list. So uh, we're going to coordinate this now and talk about it a lot. You're going to notice me uh, through the podcast doing a lot of housekeeping. We're trying to get organized so it's easier for our social media people to get clips and shorts cut and get it out to you, get our advertisers right. We've got a lot of work to do. I want to thank Precinct Strategy, PrecinctStrategy.com, Dan Schultz, for, for providing us with a tutorial about how to get in the game of politics should we decide we want to get into these parties and refresh them. And boy, do they need refreshing because they stinketh. We have one party. It's a uni party. We're going to talk about that today. That's the first thing the Nazis did when they took over. They made a uniparty. Hey, let's listen, let's look, let's learn from the past. Now we're going to do a one-minute live read about TireGet. TireGet. TireGet is an online e-commerce 
tire store. All your tire needs are can be met there. You go there, you go online, all the major brands, we try to feature American-made products. Of course, they're, it's impossible because we lived in a globalized, you know, tire environment. Uh, only about 50% of the tires used in the United States of America are actually manufactured here. But to the extent we can, we feature American-made union labor-produced tires because we believe in American manufacturing and the price is right, the service is right. You can interact with me. I will personally help you get your tires. So please go to TireGet.com, support TireGet. When you do that, you're supporting Free People Radio and the Professor Penn Podcast. You have to buy tires. When you buy them from us, you're supporting this movement, and thank you very much. Okay, let's get down to it. I am going through a real test of my faith. I I'm going through a real test of my faith. And why do I say that twice? So far, I'm failing. Give myself an F. Am I hard on myself? Yes, I am. Because it says if I have the faith of a mustard seed, I can remove a mountain and put it into the ocean. And if it's in the book, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe that I've received what it is I'm asking for when I pray. And what I'm asking for is the financial strength to continue this fight, the physical strength to continue this fight. These are material things, material things. I need the material things that are required, the health, the well-being, and the financial health and well-being to stay in the fight against tremendous odds because the entire mechanism of the state is aimed at destroying the middle market companies that support the freedom movement. We're all independent business people. And the big international multinational corporations, the big box stores where we all go to shop, are winning the game because they're controlling all of the rules. We, on the other hand, control nothing but our own reaction. So that's why I say I'm in a, a crisis of faith. None of us are going to make it without faith if we believe in freedom. None of us. This is a faith exercise. For me, that's my opinion. I'm sharing this with you. For me, what I'm doing, it's a faith exercise. I'm giving over. I'm moving from narcissism to altruism. I'm living my life for God, country, and family. This is unusual. I'm not self-concerned. I'm going to believe that I'm going to receive what it is I need to continue in this role. And I need your help, and I want to thank you for sharing it. Really appreciate it. Love talking with you in the live chat. When you go to the social media now, uh, for Professor Penn on X, on Getter, there's all kinds of shorts and clips that you can download and push out to your social networks. We're going to get much better about this. We're going to organize a national with a focus on Minnesota, we're going to organize a national effort to get out these political ideas and form an underground of information distribution. Very important. It's very important. And what is the cor the cornerstone, the cornerstone of this distribution? Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating the light and the dark. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. 
Thank you for creating me in your image. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me an American. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for making me free. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for healing the blind. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for feeding the people. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for releasing the bound. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for raising up the downtrodden. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for creating heaven and earth. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for providing for all my needs. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for directing my path. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for our American courage. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for crowning America with glory. Blessed are you, God and King of all worlds. Thank you for restoring strength to the weary. When I pray, I'm really praying. And uh, I'm thanking God for providing me with the things I need, both spiritual and material, to stay in this role. You know, Professor Penz and Nam Daguerre, what I'm really doing is trying to share you know, as lightheartedly as possible under the circumstances of how we organize a community and how we get elected young, powerful voices of American nationalism. Because I do not believe that there is a need for global governance. I believe global governance is a scam because it is so far removed from my neighborhood. It has no care or concern about how I'm living here in Minnesota. It doesn't care. It has a technocratic, a technological, a eugenicist, a scientific orientation, which does not take into account my family's needs or the needs of uh, Tanner's family. Good morning, Tanner. Good morning, Mr. Welcome back. Welcome back. Did you have a nice weekend? I did have a very nice weekend. I'm I'm glad one of us did. That's great. Did you get out into the nature? You look like you're in the nature. Yeah, I spent most of the day on Sunday just out in the sun baking. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, I was outside in nature, but I was besieged with familial pleas for me to be a little bit more normal. And this is really typical and affects all of us who are making that movement from narcissism to altruism because many of the people around us are given over to narcissism And they're depending on my narcissism, so their narcissism can continue. So when I get altruistic, they get a little nervous. Oh, could be less in the bag for them. They get a little bit ornery about that. So I had a difficult weekend with these kind of issues. And it's interesting, you know, you can talk to people about your faith, about you know you're doing the right thing. Can't you see it? And if they can't see it, they can't see it. They're not ready. I told the story. Boy, just a few weeks ago, we were at a political meeting and uh, people were ripping on the uni party participants, ripping on them. And I just said, hey, before we start casting stones here, those of us who are without sin that are stoning these people, who here voted for George W. Bush? And everybody's hand shot up. I said, raise it a little higher. And then when everybody got their hand up, everybody started looking sheepishly at each other because they understood exactly what I was saying. We were all snowed, if we're on the right side, that there's right and left. 
Democrat and Republican, conservative and liberal. These are scam dichotomies. There's two issues here, two groups, two ideologies. There's a scientism ideology that is based in the origin of the species, in Malthus, Darwin, Spencer, and Galton. We've been talking about it for months. That's one side. The other side believes in God. It's very simple. And we're not supposed to talk about it this plainly because, of course, separation of church and state, which is another scam. Let's get all the God stuff out of the state so we can just have scientism run our state. And we bought on it. Why did we buy on it? Because science delivers so many benefits. To we the people, it makes our life so convenient. So convenient, in fact, that we're giving up our freedom. So I just have a very clear comment I want to make before we continue. I believe in science when it is in, when it is in service to the well-being of the people and subordinated to faith in God. I believe in science and the scientific method when its fruits are for the well-being of the American people and the scientific method is subordinated to faith in God. When we reach that kind of a balance, we're good to go. We had it for hundreds of years. Let's get it back before it's too late. And you saw from the beginning when Goebbels was talking about total war, we had all those scenes of total war, which pale in comparison to the kind of total war we could have today. This is a scientific ideology, scientism, which holds one race superior and another inferior, which was operationalized through the Nazi party, which was a political strategy of implementing a master race, a eugenicist, genocidal production, a genocidal jam, so to speak. We're right there. We see it in history. Where is it in our, in our history? Where is it in our mind? Do we understand that this is a philosophy, an intellectual philosophy, and Nazism is a political party that no longer really exists, allegedly has gone away, but parties that seek to impose a scientism on the people are stronger today than they've ever been. Let us look for it. Let us understand it. And let's talk about how they get the job done. Tanner, can you play this clip on propaganda? Fortunately, some members of the media, some members of the media, some members of the media, some members of the media use their platforms to push their own personal bias, to push their own personal bias and agenda to control exactly what people think. This is extremely dangerous to our democracy. There's lots of these popping around the Internet. Have you seen any of these? Clips like this? Yeah, where people do the whole collection of them talking in unison, like they're all in the same script. It's kind of scary. That is kind of scary. That No, that's very scary, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Where'd the script come from? You know, maybe they all got the same transmission esoterically, which would be even more scary. But there's a script out there. You know, like there's script keepers? There's script keepers. And what they're saying is, is there are people like Professor Penn that I'm using my personal bias and my personal bias is a danger to democracy. I was watching Morning Joe. Morning, see how I get when I get mad. I was watching Morning Joe this morning. Uh, that's uh, Joe Scarborough on MSNBC with Mika Brzezinski, 
daughter of Zygmunt Ubrzynski. This is probably the most important uh, dissemination of uh, how the globalist views politics and the political. And I noticed a distinct change in their editorial tone, and it was uh, chilling, and I, I want to share this with you. Their basic editorial tone now is that uh, people who question the narrative are anti-American. I want to say this again. Their editorial tone hardened and became very overtly focused on that people who question the mainstream narrative are an anti-American group, a threat to democracy. How, after all, could Republicans support Donald Trump when he's four times indicted? And they basically were uh, impugning anyone that has anything to do with the American nationalist movement as if the movement itself is anti-American. They're painting participants as anti-American, which means that if an event was constructed or occurred which would put the country in conflict with a foreign power, those of us that had been labeled as anti-American could be rounded up and interned no differently than the Japanese-American citizens were interned and rounded up at the beginning of World War II. Did you know that the Japanese-American citizens were actually imprisoned during World War II? Yeah. They teach that, don't they? I Well, I had actually learned that one on my own, but yeah. Interesting, isn't it? They actually arrested American citizens who had done nothing wrong just because they were Japanese. That would be President Roosevelt. That would be one of our Democrat liberal lions of history faced with a war with Japan, they actually arrested these people and put them in concentration camps. So this whole turn, this whole propaganda turn, is very intense, very important that we all watch it, that we fight against it. I love this country. I have gotten the benefits of it. I love the Constitution of this country. I read it frequently. And I, for all the people that are watching me, because you think I'm, you know, I just have a small audience. Yeah, well, let me tell you, I got some heavyweights watching me because they know we're coming. So they're acquiring their dossiers now. So I'm going to read this to you people that are watching me, looking to arrest me. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Hard to get away from that, right? That's the cornerstone of the whole deal. And we in the nationalist movement love this. I watch the mainstream media paint the nationalist movement as totalitarian when, in fact, our entire effort is based on preserving the Constitution. That's why they would call us conservatives, after all. We want to conserve something. We don't want to progress past this idea. 
We like the idea. We believe in the idea. It seems correct to us to believe that we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and women are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I wrap myself in this. Those of you who are watching me with the intent to harm me, how can you harm a person who loves the country who is following a constitutional process, and all I do is have a different belief system than you do. And what is the difference? It really needs to be distilled down to the fault line. We have a very large group of people in this country, probably two-thirds, that do not believe in God. They believe in scientism. They have faith in science. I see more and more of them on the street. Are you noticing all these people that are putting masks on now? Yeah. Yeah, everywhere. The word went out for masks. I saw a guy driving to work, driving to the studio this morning, walking his dog outside alone, wearing a mask. I, I have a question with it. Who said that we're getting another wave of masks? Because I've been hearing about it, but I haven't seen anything that's like an actual call for it. Well, they're working on it slowly. They like to move incrementally. It actually came about, this awareness came about because we now have in the middle management of our government, you know, at the top management, these people are all in. They're all in. They don't see a way out. They're not turning back. But the middle managers in this giant bureaucracy that they ha that we have, some of them are saying, whoa, I'm not quite sure how this is going to come out. So there was leakers in the TSA specifically, who came out and said that the TSA, the Transportation Safety Administration, had received instructions from the Biden administration to mask up all TSA employees in mid-September, that there would be an increasing reimposition of mask mandates, lockdowns. President Biden's wife, Jill Biden, was just announced today that she had COVID yet again. We have a COVID wave that's building up. It's getting a lot of press. There's a new variant. You're not watching any of this, are you? I don't watch mainstream no news, no. Well, I like to watch it because I like to watch everything. I watch from the most obscure European right-wing news to Morning Joe. It's all news to me because it's all opinions. See, this is why I say to you, my viewers and my listeners, and I say it with the, the most intense sincerity. You have to see it for yourself. I really appreciate talking with you and you listening to me, and I love the relationships, the online stuff. Fantastic. And I want to say again, if you're writing to me online and I don't get back to you, it's not personal. I'm getting a ton of communication. I'm answering as much as I can within the context of keeping up with my life. I really am trying to communicate with all of us because we're a community. I do not know which of you is going to become, for example, a Royce White delegate in Minnesota. Who's going to get involved in the political process so that we can change this? I don't know. So I'm going to communicate with as many people as I can looking to find the players. There's players out here. Hey, there's players that want to get in the game, and I want to help them get into the game. So, you know, this propaganda about masking 
it's it's here. I mean, we have a new COVID wave. Now, where they're going to be able to get to go with this, because even President Trump said, I do not consent. We just, you know, we just have to not consent. It's called civil disobedience. We do risk sanction. There are sanctions for civil disobedience. But I'm not masking up. I'm going to tell you, I want everyone to follow their doctor's orders. I want everybody to be involved with all the uh, standard allopathic Western medicine that they feel is appropriate for them. I'm not telling anybody to quit taking their medicine. All I'm saying is take a walk. Get outside like Tanner did this weekend. You look great. Thank you. If, you know, you, 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 I could see it on you right away that you were outside. I bet you didn't turn your phone on all day either. No. Right. You were in the natural way. It was fantastic. You know, all we need to do is balance. We don't need to be extremists. Health and well-being in a society and as individuals is based on balance or moderation. And I also like to say moderation in all things, including moderation. Think about that one, and you'll understand where Professor Penn is coming from. But this propaganda, propaganda, where it really gets intense, where it really, where the propaganda, where the propaganda hits the road, so to speak, to mix my metaphors, is when we get into wars. Because in a war, who's really there to know what's going on in the Ukraine? Who is really there to know? Who knows? I mean, it's a giant black bag, right? We got the mainstream media telling us that the Ukrainian counteroffensive is very successful. Very successful. And then you got all of the mainstream media being opposed by a huge narrative from the alternative media saying that the Ukrainian counteroffensive is a huge failure. Now, how, how, how are we going to know what's really true? Well, I'll tell you one way. We could hop on an airplane and fly over there and see for ourselves. <laughs> You're laughing. I've done this kind of thing before. It's very scary. I mean, when you're actually in, in, a, in a dangerous area. You know, we're sitting at home watching this on our phones. How, how relaxing is that? Most of us are laying down. It's 9 o'clock at night. You know, there's no bombs going off in the background. Hey, it's just academic. Go back and watch. Propagandist, propaganda minister Goebbels and his total war speech that was the cold open. What does this mean? Well, we're, we're heading here, okay? We're heading here. We're heading towards total war, and we're being told we're not. We're getting used to a war as if it's going to go on forever. But we're not kidding around. This is not Burma. We're not down in Chile, okay? These people are not you know, shooting at each other with rifles. This is a high-tech military throwdown between nuclear-armed countries. It's going to have an end one way or the other. It's not just going to mush. We're either going to have a peace or we're going to have total war. And what I find so disconcerting is that there's no protest. It's almost as if you doomers don't care. I guess that's why you call yourselves the doomers. I, I would say it's more not that we don't care. It's that a lot of people just don't understand like that it actually is happening and how, e I don't know, the dangers of it, I guess. We Great. just don't understand You the can dangers. be part of the 
social media strategy and push this out into the Doomer group because people need to understand and they need to watch the things we're showing today. We're starting out with this total war speech by Goebbels, which in and of itself is frightening. When we get to the last 30 minutes, I'm going to promise you, you might not even like Professor Penn after this because I'm going to show some archival footage from World War II that's seldom seen. It's not going to be easy to watch, and I'm going to stop and talk through it. And, you know, hey, one of the reasons that people are willing to put their lives at risk like this is the institutional memory of total war has receded because the total war ended in 45. So we're over 75 years. We're 78 years since the armistice, since the peace treaties were signed. 78 years? I mean, everybody's dead. Nobody remembers. Every day, hundreds of the remaining people that lived through this war are dying off. They're close to 100 years old. So our institutional memory is fading away. And what do humans do when things fade away? Well, hey, are you going to want to watch that Total War clip at the beginning or what we're going to play here at the end? No, of course not. You're going to rather watch entertaining shorts on Instagram. Why not? They're so much more entertaining. That's why I had a terrible weekend. I got tremendous pushback in my family about my choices. And um, my the people that I love, and I have to listen to them because I love them. Of course, I don't have to listen to them. It's not just Mrs. Professor Penn. It's my kids. It's everybody. Well, I'm going to talk through the last 30 minutes about why I am so intense about this. I get some great solace that I see young leaders like Royce White, who's just as intense or more intense than I am. It's not me alone. There are a lot of people, people watching this podcast, that are all in on preserving this country and providing for the health and well-being and safety of their families. We just see it the way we see it. Let us hope that we are overblown. Let us hope that our energy in the game of politics pulls this thing away from the brink. We're at the brink right now. Why do we know it? Well, you have to figure things out like a detective. I'll read you this one. Let me clear my voice. This is a beauty. Russia raises its nuclear forces to combat duty status. Russia this past Friday announced its Sarmat ICBMs, Intercontinental Ballistic Missiles, are on combat duty. That's their exact phrase. The head of the country's space agency, Roskomos Yuri Borisov, confirmed, quote, the Sarmat strategic complex has been put on combat duty. The nuclear-capable Sarmat intercontinental ballistic missile system was previously touted by President Putin as being capable of hitting any target on Earth and is widely believed to be by far the longest-range missile in Russia's nuclear arsenal. It's actually the longest-range missile on Earth. It has been nicknamed by NATO the Satan II. 
and they've put it on combat duty. Why would that be? Why would they elevate to combat duty status? And how does this relate to the war in the Ukraine? Well, neither side can afford to lose this war. We can't. We, we the people, the people we've elected that don't give a bleep about how we think or feel. They can't afford to lose. They don't want to lose because it'll make them lose face. It'll make them look like the liars that they really are. You know, as near as I can tell from my research, in 2022, 20,000 foreign-trained mercenaries, and when I say mercenaries, I mean the best of the best when it comes to combat, showed up in the Ukraine on somebody's payroll making big money to kill Russians. And that might be why the Ukrainians did pretty good in 2022. Why do I think they're doing less well this year? Because as near as I can tell, instead of another 20,000 people showing up, they only got about 1,500 foreign fighters to restock the ranks of the Ukrainian military. So when they lose that institutional knowledge of how to fight a war against a modern military force like the Russian Federations, and you're left with a bunch of young kids like Tanner, bunch of people your age. Hey, three months of training, off to the front you go. Sounds like a nice afternoon, doesn't it? No, it doesn't sound nice. See, the guys that have been in the fight before, they were kind of protecting the young people like you, but they're not showing up anymore. They're just sending you up to the front. And that's why it's quite evident that young people are running away from the Ukraine. Why do we know that? Because Canada and the United States are filled with recent Ukrainian immigrants your age. They don't want to fight. They don't want to fight for their country. I think you made a statement on a previous podcast. You're not joining the U.S. military at any price because up till now there's no fight worth getting involved with. Did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're not alone. There's a lot of Ukrainians that think this is a scam. So when people start leaving the country wholesale, you have less fighters. It's hard to run a military without soldiers. So what do I think this uh, elevation to combat duty status is signaling? Because, again, remember what I'm saying. I'm not there. I can't tell what's going on. I have my suspicions, but I'm putting it together piece by piece, a little piece here, a little piece there. What I think is happening is the Ukrainian military is on the verge of collapse. And what Putin is signaling to the United States and to the West is, I'm going nuclear capable right now. Don't even think about it. Don't think about a false flag. Don't think about using nuclear weapons. Don't think about filling the void that's developing in Ukraine as the Ukrainian military melts away. Hey, remember how the Vietnamese, the South Vietnamese Army, melted away in 73? One day they were here, and the next day they were gone. And now there is not North and South Vietnam. There's just Vietnam. Do you remember very recently in Afghanistan how we had armed an Afghani army? An Afghani army, it was well-equipped. 
And just within recent memory, you can go back and look at it. They were well-trained and capable of defending against the Taliban. And one day, they disappeared. Now, we have two recent examples of how armies trained and armed by the United States gave up and melted away overnight, even though we were told that the South Vietnamese were well capable of maintaining South Vietnam and that the Afghani army was the best trained and they were well capable of defending against the Taliban. And now we're being, you know, we're told the same thing, that the Ukrainian military is capable of defending against the Russians. And I think the Russians have gone to combat duty status because the situation on the ground there is becoming highly fluid. I think that the Russians are making a lot of progress. I think that the Ukrainian military is on the verge of collapse. And there are big asks now, a whole new series of big asks for money and weapons to go to the Ukraine. It doesn't seem like it's ever enough. It's never enough. I think Putin is signaling, I'm not kidding around. Let's sit down and talk, or let's get it on. He's making it an either-or choice for our government. And we the people are doing nothing, nothing. Well, I guess we must agree that this war is a good thing. Tanner, do you think this war, no right or wrong answer, do you support the war in the Ukraine as a young man? I do not support it. How about your generation of doomers? They support it because it's put on a plate for them as if they're the heroes, as if we're the ones protecting the underdog. So a lot of my generation supports it in that light. And even if you try to argue it, I've, I've discussed with some of my friends before if they support it. Um, and they always counter it with like, well, if we're not there, who's going to help Ukraine? You're just going to let Russia do whatever they want. And I don't really know how to answer that question either. Globalism. They're globalists. They have a no, they don't like the country. They're very critical of the leadership. They're kind of not participating by, by saying you're a doomer. You're kind of saying, Hey, you know, screw off. Right. Yeah. But their idea of globalism is so baked into their personalities that we, the United States of America, are somehow responsible for what happens in the Ukraine. You know, we've been having this battle since World War I. Why do we think we have to be involved over there? What, what is, where does this come from? What are the roots of this idea? We really need to think this through. Why are our ambitions so global? I don't have global ambitions. I'm a man. You know, people say to me, don't you want to be rich? No, I don't. I don't aspire to be rich. I aspire to be faithful. That's me. I got a long way to go. I'm working on it. And what I believe is, is God wants me to have riches. I'll have them. I'll do everything appropriately in my life, but I'm not sitting here trying to figure out how I'm going to be rich. I'm not that ambitious. Our country is very ambitious. We have a very ambitious worldview. It goes all the way down into your generation, and your generation has no hope of ever getting rich, yet you still 
believe psychologically as a generation that somehow if we don't do it, nobody will. Right? Did I get it correct? Yeah. Wow. That is propaganda. Let's look at a little bit more propaganda. Or as I like to say, why I'm fighting or why we fight, why our community is fighting. Let's take a look at the neocons, neocon, kind of the mold, the mold. Mitt Romney, you know, his niece, Ronna McDaniel, is the chairwoman of the Republican National Committee. Isn't that interesting? Let's listen to uh, Mitt Romney. He's going to tell us all about the Ukraine. The single most important thing we can do to strengthen ourselves relative to China is to, is to see Russia defeated in Ukraine because they're allies and, uh, and Russia being weakened weakens their ally China. I mean, so, uh, and, and by the way, uh, being able to, to take an amount which equals what, about 5% of our military budget, uh, but actually less than 5% of our military budget each year to help the Ukrainians is about, about the best national defense spending I think we've ever done. We're losing no lives in Ukraine. And the Ukrainians are fighting heroically against Russia that has 1,500 nuclear weapons aimed at us. It's like, so we are, we're uh, diminishing and devastating the Russian military uh, for a, a very small amount of money relative to the, what we spend in the rest of defense. A weakened Russia is a good thing. It tells, it tells China to rethink uh, their uh, territorial ambition. Uh, it tells Russia, perhaps most importantly, that the, the Putin vision of, uh, of reestablishing the, the Russian empire and, and grabbing the old former Soviet republics, that that's not something that's going to work. It is very much in, in America's national interest, in our national interest to help Ukraine. And the best thing we can do for America is to see people who have nuclear weapons aimed at us getting weaker. Let us uh, go through this again, and I'm going to stop us, and I want to give the Professor Penn reaction, like a reaction video, to this clip. Can we go through it again, please? Yeah. Let's go through it line by line. The single most important thing we can do to strengthen ourselves relative to China is to, is to see Russia defeated in Ukraine. Stop, please. For those of you who don't know, this is a senator. Let's not take anything for granted. Maybe we have a lot of 25-year-olds watching. I hope we do. The demographics seem to say that on YouTube, right? We got a lot of young people. Yeah, we're getting younger. Do you know who this guy is? I recognize the name. I don't know who he is. Great. Though. Let's talk about who he is. Mitt Romney is a senator. There's 100 senators, two from every state. He is from the state of Utah, Senator Mitt Romney. His father was the governor of Michigan. He comes from a political family. He's a Mormon. He's a big banger in the Mormon church, a very big banger, like he runs the church, okay? He came to prominence nationally in terms of media in the 1990s when he took over the Los Angeles Olympic Games, which were a huge mess here, and he was in business, and they erected him as the person who was going to return the Los Angeles Olympic Games to a profitable status. It was a huge loser. He turned it around, and he got a reputation as being kind of a competent technocrat. Took a big event and made it into a success. We like that. We like that. Okay. Then he ran for governor of Massachusetts. 
as a Republican, where he won. And you have to think about Massachusetts. It doesn't get any more leftist than Massachusetts, where he won as the governor. Now, he had had a career working as the president of a company called Bain, Bain Capital, and they made billions of dollars by buying up American companies, mostly union-staffed companies, manufacturing companies, closing their plants, laying off their workers, and shipping the productive equipment to China, where the equipment was put back into production with Chinese working for a fraction of the price, increasing their margins by 40%, because that's really what happened. And they made billions and billions of dollars doing this. They actually set the model of offshoring. Brother Romney, Hmm. he was like the poster child of shutting down American labor, offshoring our production, and giving our intellectual property to the Chinese. That's who he was. So his money was made in business with the Chinese. He got his public persona as a very competent technocrat because of the Olympic save. He was governor of Massachusetts. He ran for president against Barack Obama. That's why I know his in name. In 2012. Okay. He ran. He looks like he should be on Mount Rushmore. Just a little, you know, a little admission for anybody else who's in not a doomer, but a boomer who's watching me. Remember how we all thought this guy was great? Let us not be criticizing those among us who are still asleep because not that long ago, we were also slumbering. This guy was as much of a problem in 2012 as he is when he's sitting on the stage in 2023. We just hadn't figured it out yet. So I am very forgiving as I wish to be forgiven something we might want to build into our movement because there are many people in the process of figuring this stuff out. Tanner, I bet you have a lot, a new perspective just hanging around with me, right? Yeah. I would say my perspectives change quite a bit. Yeah. Because you're getting, you're getting more information. You know, the information, remember we started out with that propaganda clip. We talked about how hard it is to understand what's going on in a war zone because of the propaganda, because we're not there to see who's winning. We have to take somebody's word for it. And then we get these very great leaders, these neocons. This guy would be called a neoconservative. He's a a star of the uni party, a star, a greater. You know, he's got the R after his name. But remember, I'm saying right off the bat here, Democrat and Republican mean nothing. This guy is a lion of the uni party, a lion of the uni party. And he's such a great spokesperson. And what he said was, before we continue, there's nothing better we could do vis-a-vis China than be in a war with Russia and weaken the Russians because the Russians in our alliance with the Chinese. That fundamentally mischaracterizes the relationship between Russia and China. They are not the same country. The Chinese are not getting weaker because the Russians are getting weaker. The Chinese are getting stronger because it is forcing Putin to defend his country by depending on the Chinese, by weakening the Russians. We are forcing Putin to defend his country by depending on the Chinese. We're strengthening the Chinese. 
not making them weaker. That's my perspective. Could you please continue? Because they're allies, and, uh, and Russia being weakened weakens their ally China. I mean, so, uh, and, and by the way, uh, being able to, to take an amount which equals, what, about 5% of our military budget, about actually less than 5% of our military budget each year to help the Ukrainians is about, about the best national defense spending I think we've ever Stop. done. Stop. The best national defense spending. But before we get to that, let's go back. Putin is dependent on the Chinese. They're getting a super deal on Russia's oil, a fantastic deal. It's making their economy stronger, and they're having trouble. So having access to low-cost energy is helping prop up and strengthen China. And what Mitt Romney is talking about is just but 5% of our budget, which I don't know, it's probably... $150 billion. A mere bag of tail, as my father used to say. A nothing. $150 billion. Guess what? We don't have that money. We're printing that money. We're borrowing that money. It is weakening the fiscal condition of our country. It is creating the inflation which is ravishing and destroying what's left of the middle class. It is terrible what we're doing from a financial perspective. And to pay for it, the inflation is transferring wealth to a very small group of people and taking it from me and from you. So, yes, they're spending the money on military. He's saying we're winning. What if we're losing? Then what we're doing is, is we're pissing this money down a black hole. Let's continue. We're losing no lives in Ukraine. And the Ukrainians are fighting heroically against Russia that has 1,500 nuclear weapons aimed at us. It's like, oh, so we stop. are- stop, there's three great ideas. We're losing no lives. Did you know that Ukrainian lives matter? Yeah. Did you know Russians' lives matter? Yeah. Not according to Mitt Romney. Well, the, I also want to include, because I said earlier, they serve on a plate like, we're the heroes. You notice his wording that the Ukrainians are fighting like heroes. Right. It's it's constantly painting them in a light like they're doing the good. But Well, and he also says 1,500 nuclear weapons are pointed at us from Russia. It was doctrine. It was doctrinal for decades. We can't get in a direct shooting war or any kind of a war that's this intense with the Russians precisely because they have nuclear weapons. That's supposed to be a deterrent to getting into the very situation we're in. People are going to say, oh, but Professor Penn, we're not in direct conflict. We have many, 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 I don't know the number. I could say thousands. I could say tens of thousands of American troops and American mercenaries in country fighting the Russians. The only people getting fooled are the Americans. The Russians know it. Let's continue. We're uh, diminishing and devastating the Russian military uh, for a, a very small amount of money relative to the, what we spend in the rest of defense. A weakened Russia is a good thing. It tells, it tells China to rethink uh, their uh, territorial ambition. Uh, it tells Russia, perhaps most importantly, Stop. that the... That part I have to agree with. The willingness of the West to fight the Russians. 
is a cautionary tale to the Chinese vis-a-vis Taiwan. Just have to be straight about how I feel about it. It is a deterrent to further aggression. But the comment that they're destroying the Russian military, I mean, that, that's, uh, the jury's out on that one. I don't see that. You know, he's a senator. Maybe he gets special briefings from the CIA that he's relying on. I'm sure he can trust the CIA's, you know, ready reports. Let's continue. <clears throat> the Putin vision of, uh, of reestablishing the, the Russian empire and, and grabbing the old former Soviet republics, that that's not something that's going to work. It is very much in, in America's national interest, in our national interest, to help Ukraine. And the best thing we can do for America is to see people who have nuclear weapons aimed at us getting weaker. Okay. Now, that, that's kind of a, that last one, that kind of says it all. The best thing we can do is see people with nuclear weapons pointed at us getting weaker. Hey, you know, that's when you pull the, pull the trigger, when you're scared. When you're getting weak, that's when people act out. We want everyone to be strong in pursuing their own national interests. We don't have to have a judgment that everyone is a mass murderer or a thief or a brigand. We can have the judgment that we're taking care of our own country. We could just start with our own people. We're taking care of these Ukrainians. What about these doomers? They could use a little love. We're spending their inheritance on fighting the Russians. I don't agree with that. I think it's very dangerous, but the thing that scares me more than anything is there's no pushback. And typically, typical of the Uni Party, long-term leftists who come out of a history of anti-war are showing up supporting Jelinski and the Ukrainians. Let's just go out on this segment with this uh, little piece with uh, Elizabeth Warren, who one would think would be an anti-war senator, senator from Massachusetts. Please play this piece. I'm Elizabeth That's Elizabeth Warren, Senator Massachusetts, Lindsey Graham, Senator South Carolina. And here's Richard Blumenthal, Senator from Connecticut. We've got two Democrats and a Republican. No, we have three uniparty senators. There's no Democrats and Republicans up there. They all agree on the military industrial complex and the medical industrial complex. It's about four trillion of our budget. They agree, and they're over there with Jelinski. Now, when I see Elizabeth Warren there, maybe AOC should just show up. Come on. The tradition of the Democrat Party, if we're going to talk about it as a party, a distinct party with its own philosophy, it was an anti-war party. Why do I know? I was part of it. The whole point of it was anti-war, anti-Vietnam War. It was a distinctly and expressly anti-military anti-war party. Yep, here we are. It's now part of the uni party. It's on the payroll of who? It's on the payroll of the people that are making money from this war in the Ukraine, in my opinion. That's Professor Penn's opinion. Got a unit party. What's the first thing that happened in Nazi Germany when the German people elected a government that led to the Nazis taking part, elected a government 
that led to the Nazis taking party. The first thing the Nazis did was Gleichtelschung. That was the synchronization and the harmonization of the German people under the Nazi ideology. They went from a multi-party system to a one-party, uniparty overnight. Uniparty. Uniparty means one party. A uniparty means one party. One party. One party rule. A uniparty with propaganda that presents a mainstream media narrative that supports the uniparty's position. And now anybody who's coming against that is now un-American, subject to the manipulation of Russian disinformation. And they're getting doubled down on this stuff. Well, let's see what happens. Let's, let's look at some archival footage of what happens. When it really, when, when people really get down. I don't mean kind of get down. I mean they get down all the way. I'm going to caution you up front. This is going to be very difficult. Some of you will be unable to watch this. Please don't hate me. The reason I'm putting this forth is so that we all see what is no longer seen. We're not seeing the horribly mangled bodies of the Ukrainians, the death, the destruction, the killing of children. We don't see that. We only hear how heroic these people are. We didn't see the million Iraqis that were killed in the Iraq war. Most of us don't know that a million Iraqis were killed. We don't see what happens when the fruits of scientism, that's militarism, is let loose with all of its advanced technology towards the accomplishment of a goal. In the footage we're going to look at right now, we're going to look at the accomplishment of genocide. In other words, the operationalization of a eugenicist ideology aimed at creating a master race through breeding and through science and the elimination of genetic lines which are deemed to be subhuman. Let's take a look at it. Not because we're talking about the Jews. Of course, this is going to have a lot to do with what the Germans did to the Jews in World War II. But I'm not showing this to be on some kind of soapbox about what happened to the Jews. Not that that's not important. It is important. I'm showing this so that we remember what happens when scientism is allowed to proceed unchecked in its pursuit of a master race. We need to look at it. We need to see it. Try to stay with it. I'll stop frequently and I'll talk about my friend Aaron and me and why we both have PTSD. Let's start it off. This film will not be shown to the general public without permission of the War Department. This film was compiled as evidence to be used at the Nuremberg trials in the effort to convict Nazi perpetrators. This is a translation of a film called Death Mills, which our State Department is showing to the German people. It is a reminder that behind the curtain of Nazi pageants and parades, millions of men, women, and children were tortured to death, the worst mass murder in human history. 
1945, the townspeople of Gardelegen, Germany, carried 1,100 crosses to a local barn. The crosses were for 1,100 fresh graves, the victims of Gardelegen. But these 1,100 were a small fraction of the 20 million men, women, and children for me? by the Nazis. 20 million human beings, equal to the population of 22 American states. 20 million corpses, the product of 300 concentration camps all over Germany. And these the are scenes territory. of a concentration camp, just the camp itself. Death mills that ground out their dead until the very day Allied armies broke through their gates. Those who survived could answer the roll call of all the nations of Europe. Of all religious faiths, of all stop it? beliefs condemned by Hitler. That, if you look on that gate, Arbeit macht free. Very famous. This is the gate, the, the death camp Auschwitz. That means work makes freedom. So if you work, you become free. And they call it death mills because that was, it didn't stick. These were concentration camps. They were industrialized uh, settings for the mass murder of people the mass elimination of people. And I just have to say going into it in watching this, because this is going to get rough, uh, it's hard to get your mind wrapped around the fact that a state dedicated itself to the elimination of a population. Let us think about that the state of Germany actually constructed a medical tyranny that was aimed at liquidating a population. Let's continue. Because they were anti-Nazi. And now they were free. The liberators had smashed through the barbed wire at Dachau, at Buchenwald, at Ordruf, at Belsen, at Sachsenhausen, at Ebensee, and Ravensbrück. These are scenes, seldom seen. People are so happy to be liberated. Many were freed only to die. Years of imprisonment, starvation, torture, and forced labor had broken. They had been beaten down to live like animals. Far worse, for few animals had lived in the terror, hunger, and filth of these victims. People who once had been human beings like you and me. When the Allies came, survivors were taken out of dungeons where rats had been their companions and vermin their bedfellows. Despite the desperate efforts of Allied doctors and medical aides, help came too late for many. It's gonna get worse, strap in. Allied physicians study marks of the Nazi beast.
children and infants died the slow death of deliberate starvation. Stop it, please. You know, starvation was a very preferred means of extermination because it was very cheap. Even shooting people was expensive. They were killing so many, so many millions of people so quickly, what they were looking for was the most efficient industrialized strategy for liquidating a population because of the eugenicist and genocidal nature of this scientific regime. Please continue. The babies. Allied babies actually there. Camps soon after the troops overran. First was General Eisenhower, who visited Ordruth. The inmates demonstrate the Bach, a torture instrument with which they were well acquainted. This was just one of many torture devices of Himmler's henchmen. Military leaders were followed by church dignitaries like the Archbishop of Canterbury. Could you stop it, please? This part of the film where they're bringing military leaders and dignitaries to view these industrial death mills, these people were brought here because Eisenhower knew that no one was going to believe this. Have you ever seen anything like this? I, I've seen some of the footage about, like, the aftermath of the Holocaust. So, yeah. It's going to get worse. You probably, Let me know if you've seen this stuff. Because we're going all the way down the rabbit hole here. The point being is not to ruin your evening. The point is when the dogs of war are let slip, there's no end to the brutality that will be foisted upon we the people. And we're allowing ourselves to be drawn into a conflict that's going to have genocidal outcomes. So they were bringing these people to view this because they knew nobody was going to believe it. And, you know, this kind of footage is not played. There's going to be people in the audience that have never seen this before. I apologize again. Be ready. Turn it off if you don't want to watch horrible things. But the point of watching them is not to blow your mind. It's to say, come on, what are we doing here? And to get motivated and organized as a political community to preserve the health and well-being of the American people. Let's continue. And civilians of the Allied Investigation Commission came to authenticate to the world horrors that human beings found hard to believe. Such as dungeons where this sort of atrocity, five with operations in each box, was routine. Everywhere was the repeated, monotonous sight and stench of corpses, shriveled bodies like old bones picked over by dogs, piles and heaps like the litter of a boneyard. These are the foul, wretched remnants of human beings, human beings like you and me. Not all died slowly and horribly by starvation. Millions died quickly and horribly by burning in the furnaces of Poland. This is what is left of their agony, a 
a handful of ash to swirl into oblivion on a puff of wind. Here is the Folterkammer torture chamber in Meidenheim. It is a lasting monument to German scientific genius. Gas chambers. Stop. This was a scientism operation run by doctors. Doctors who believed in creating a healthier world, a more well-being world. Isn't that interesting? Let us think carefully about who these people are and were. This kind of philosophy has not disappeared from our earth. It's stronger today than it ever was. Let's continue. Agent of death, and their use was admirably organized. Prisoners were told to prepare themselves for a shower bath. They were even given towels to make them believe this story. When the doors of the bathroom were closed behind them, poison gas, Zyklon, was released through the shower ducts. In Dachau, in Auschwitz, in Nordhausen, in Meidenek, the German murder trust standardized the procedure of slaughter. The death gas was always the same, Zyklon. Cremation was the chief means of disposal of the great mass of bodies. Auschwitz alone had four of them going night and day, like the blast furnaces of Pittsburgh. Having been put to all this expense of murder, the Nazis were determined to make a profit. The charred remains were ground up and sold to German farmers as fertilizer. The death mills were made to pay in many ways. Thousands of garments were stripped from prisoners. <clears throat> Women's clothes, <clears throat> infant shoes, even toys and dolls. Human hair, women's hair, cut before death dulled its luster. Methodically packed, it was ready for sale to manufacturers. Every murder mill had its storage room, like this one at Buchenwald. Each contained jewelry, watches, wedding rings, heaps of eyeglasses and gold teeth, torn from the mouth of the dead. These were the instruments used to pull the teeth. In their slaughterhouse, the Nazi butchers wasted as little of the body as possible. When Allied armies approached, the Nazis often tried to rush their prisoners elsewhere. Thousands were suffocated in overcrowded freight cars. Many of the dead and the dying were flung into the water. If the Allies moved too rapidly, the Nazis attempted to kill their prisoners so that no witnesses of their crimes were left behind. In Meidnek, in Ordruf, in many other camps, thousands were murdered just before liberation.
this man was killed with a bed. Here's a typical German barn at Gardelegg. 1,100 human beings were herded into it and burned alive. Those who in their anguish broke out were shot as they emerged. What subhumans did these things? Here's one captured at Mauthausen. At Belsen, we caught the camp commander, Joseph Kramer, the beast of Belsen. Men or women, they were the Nazi elite, Himmler's own. Amazons, turned Nazi killers, were merciless in the use of the whip, practiced in torture and murder, deadlier than the male. In the interrogation room at Hadamar, a witness testifies. The camp commander and chief physician are brought into the room. They can explain everything. Of course the prisoners were used as guinea pigs. Of course poison was injected into their bloodstream and they died. Here, doctor seems surprised that anyone should find anything wrong with this. The camp cemetery discloses hundreds of victims of this Nazi research in murder. This was a woman. Allied members of the War Crimes Commission opened thousands of bodies. The record of their autopsy okay, let's the stop for a second. So this is horrifying. Not easy to watch. Why am I playing this? This is what war is. This is the extreme of war, genocide. Every war has a little genocidal flavor to it, to some varying degree. What's the point? Kill all the people you're fighting against. So by definition, war and genocide pretty close to each other. And we have rules of war. Yeah, right. Okay, sure. This is what happens when it goes completely off the rails. I want to say this again. This is a scientific method operation, an industrial science operation aimed at creating a healthy society. The point of this was to create a more healthy world. That's why the Germans did this. They did this to create a healthier world, a more well-being world. They believed in this. And you know, this belief is so widespread today that we can't even recognize it. We don't recognize how this belief system has morphed and evolved into version 2.0 in 2023. And we, the people, have to understand the result of a kind of scientism let loose on the world in pursuit of a healthier, more well human population or to evolve humanity. Those of you who are younger are well aware of the efforts to use technology to evolve humanity. Am I right or wrong when I say that? Yeah. 
Yeah, correct. Great. Do we see its roots? <clears throat> is there any difference even in the language? No. The language is exactly the same. We're evolving humanity. We, that would be human beings, have the arrogance, the hubris, the pride in our own intellectual capacity that we believe that we can evolve humanity. Well, I called this part of the podcast, Aaron and me have PSTD, or no, PTSD. Aaron and me have PTSD. We do. Uh, Aaron is a, is a, a man that I've, I've known for many years, a friend of mine, very close friend of mine. We didn't meet each other until, I don't know, 2014, 2015. Aaron has a similar experience that I do in that uh, he had close family members that he knew that told him what happened to him that looked like they were in the camps. One of the things that I, I want to share with you is you saw these uh, faces of death, but the people that lived through the experience and then came to the United States or came to Canada where Aaron lives, they also had that death mask for a face. They were alive, but I knew many of these people. They didn't talk. They had the sunken eyes. They never smiled. They were suffering post-traumatic stress disorder, and they never really overcame it. I mean, it was a horrifying thing for them. I had many people show me the tattoos, the number on their arm, uh, you know, because they were family members. But they were never fun to hang around with. And in fact, their stories, the stories that they gave me, what I was told, gave me personally post-traumatic stress disorder, such that the path of my life or the way I would be as a human being has been very significantly altered by this. I'm not quick to have a good time. I'm overly serious. I have a lot of anxiety. Can't sleep. You know, I could go on and on. And what I found so interesting in meeting Aaron, who's just a little bit younger than I am and had a very similar experience in his family, he has many of the same uh, health issues and psychological issues that I have. So we get a lot of um, mutual benefit, you know, kind of like therapy, talking to each other because we understand each other. And it's very difficult to transmit what it's like when your father tells you these kind of stories about what happened to his family. You know, what it does to you is so profound. So maybe one of the reasons that I stand up, even with my own children opposed to me standing up, is because I know what path we're on. I feel it. I've seen it. I've heard it. I know what happens when people seek to evolve the human species. I know what happens when there are issues that are so big that no one country can handle the issues, that we need a global governance to handle the issues. I know where we're headed with this. I know what road we're walking down. I, I have a, a radar that says, experimental medical techniques. Whoa, these camps were full of experimental medical techniques. So anytime I see 
any kind of science let loose and there's any indications that it's contra human well-being, I get very triggered. My post-traumatic stress disorder kicks in. It kicks in. So I want to thank you for watching that. There's much more. You can go to the any of the sites that people don't visit anymore, anymore, like the United States Holocaust Museum would be a great place. There's all kinds of archival footage, video after video after video, for those of you that really would like to do your own research and find out what happens when a society becomes propagandized to the point that there's a uni party, when there is no longer political dialogue, when free speech becomes threatened, when people are deplatformed because of what they believe, when they're vilified or othered for being who they are, when they are arrested for not agreeing to certain techniques or procedures. This is how we end up in genocide. It always starts out step by step. Glyiktulshung, step by step. The first step is to get a uni party formed. That's what the Nazis did. They banned other parties. There could only be one ideology. That was the Nazi ideology. And all the propaganda of the state media supported that ideology. People had no opportunity to get other kinds of information. Does this sound familiar to everyone? Does, it, does, does this scare people? I actually am scared. It actually scares me to know that what we're going through together today this template, this template exists. It's not overthrown. This template still exists. So we're looking at what the outcomes could be when this kind of ideology is allowed to progress and proceed unopposed. So we here at Free People Radio are in opposition to any kind of... Um, totalitarianism, any kind of scientism, any kind of propaganda which obscures my citizenship and my right as a citizen to seek truth. Let us all be very serious about what we're doing. We've reached the election season. It is now September. We're heading towards caucuses on February 27th, 2024, here in Minnesota, and something like a caucus system is going on throughout the United States of America. Let us understand that it is the actions of good people that keep the evil from pursuing their goals. And when good people are mute because those that they love don't want them to get involved, if there's no pushback, there is nothing stopping this push forward. If there's no pushback, where is the protest against this Ukraine drama? Where are the people ready to get involved, not just in protesting by talking, but by protesting by doing, by spending a couple days a year involved in politics? 
I'm asking for those of you that are willing to do that to step up and let's get organized together as a community. And on that note, after this very unhappy podcast, I want to wish you well-being. If you can't sleep tonight, that's okay. I won't be able to. And we'll pick it up again on Thursday, hopefully with a more uplifting agenda. But if we don't know where we've been, we have no way of knowing where we are. Thank you very much for joining.